Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. Here's what the Bible says. Let this mind be in you, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, which also, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery, robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, praise God, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God, to the glory of God the Father. That is, without a doubt, the absolute authority and power of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the King of Kings. He's on the throne. And that's who we serve. But Jesus Christ. Sitting on the throne. Is not the authority. I'm going to show you why. Go to Psalm 138. I'm going to show you something here. Psalm 138. You need to qualify a statement. When you make it like that. You leave that, that's the hook. That they call that the hook. So you, so you tune in and listen. The lion sinker. So Psalms chapter 138. Look at it at verse number one. The Bible says, I will praise thee with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou, watch this, hast magnified thy word above all thy name. There is something that God magnified above his name. And we see the principle in Psalm 138. What is it? His word. He said, thou hast magnified thy word Above all thy name. Why is this important? This topic is important. And this verse in particular is important. Because when you look at some of these modern versions. They change the verses to give you different meanings. For example. The ESV Bible says. Uh, I give you thanks O Lord with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple. In, in the NIV, it says, I will bow down. You know, bowing and worshiping are two different things. You can bow down and not worship. <laughs> there is a specific word used that can't be changed or removed. It says, I will worship toward thy holy temple. If the authority is God's word, 
and he said that he would magnify his word above all thy name, then why do we have all of these different versions that all it does is create confusion? It's not easier to read. It becomes easier to get confused. It's important we go through these matters because many people today, and it wasn't so back in Sister Lois's day, everybody had the word of God. But a long time, well, it came much prior to even Sister Lois's day, but it gained traction, critical text, and which meant you would go to the Bible and correct it as you saw fit. And we got ourselves in a mess. In John chapter 12, Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. And he that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. I am come a light into the world. Whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. Praise God. Isn't that great truth? I mean, that's wonderful truth. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. We're in John 12, if you, if you care to turn there, John chapter 12. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. What's the judge? Who's What is the authoritative judge? Verse number 48. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. God's word is going to judge you and I. And the final authority is so important because, yes, we should be able, we should be able to read it, believe it, and obey it. But also, yes, we're going to be judged by the word. So this idea of changing God's word, it just, it just doesn't fly. It doesn't fly. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So many great sermons have been preached just on that verse. It, it, one little word, S-O, just kind of, you can't even exhaust it. That's how much God loves you. Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How in the world would somebody die for their enemy? I mean, that's just the magnitude of the love of Jesus Christ. Now, John chapter 12, look what it says. If any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. We see Jesus loves. We see that Jesus is full of compassion. We see that Jesus Christ is on the throne. And when you get judged, it's not going to be by Jesus Christ. It's going to be by the word of God. His word's important. He's on the throne. Judgment day comes. And anyone who has not repented and put their full faith and trust in Jesus Christ, judgment and then hellfire awaits them. Jesus doesn't want anybody to perish. That's why he died. This is why we go out and preach the gospel to the lost. But during judgment, he's not the final authority. The words that he spoke are the final authority. 
And if you've trusted him as your savior, you're safe. If you've not trusted him as your savior, lost people need to understand this. Your sentence awaits you. When you go out and witness, you talk to somebody one-on-one, -on -one, and they don't know the Lord is their Savior. Sentencing awaits them. But it is not because Jesus Christ wants to sentence them. He loves them. He's full of compassion. He's full of grace. He's full of goodness. He died for them. He doesn't want them to be sentenced. Nor should we. So we need to be careful that we reflect the love of Christ, the compassion of Christ, the goodness of Christ in our witnessing efforts, because it's a hard pill to swallow. You're basically telling somebody that they're wrong and they're on their way to hell. Now, you've got the solution, but either way you try to slice it, that's a tough conversation for somebody. Now, aren't you glad somebody told you about Jesus? Aren't you glad they gave you the tough medicine to swallow? I am, too. But his word that was spoken will be their final authority. The word of God stands above. And it says in Psalm 138 is magnified higher than God himself. Go to Revelation 20. I'll show you another one. Revelation chapter 20. The Bible says in Revelation 20, chapter, uh, verse number 11. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life and the dead. Watch this were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Who's the judge, God or the books? Revelation 20 clearly tells us. Look at Revelation uh, chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19, look at verse 11. Verse number 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he sat upon him, which was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Verse 12, his eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. You know what happens when the church gets called out? They don't even know his name. The people that are alive. They don't know his name. It's a sad, sad, sad day. His name is the word of God. And what is going to be the character of the judgment that is coming? God's word. The word of God. Meaning his eternal character. God's eternal character. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That's God's eternal character. You can't exhaust that verse. <laughs> I won't even attempt to. What 
ultimately is the underlying root problem that we see in church nationwide, if not worldwide. It's lack of belief and lack of faith in the word of God. It gets thrown out. We got an ESV. We got an NIV. We got a T. Uh, there's a certain acronym for that. We got a NKJV. We got a we got a message. We got a an, an amplified. We got all these different Bibles. They all say something different, which causes people to not believe the Word of God. Well, I believe it. Okay, the Bible that you hold in your hand. Is it without error? Well, no Bible doesn't have errors. Okay, so you don't believe that the word of God has stood the test of time. I'll tell people, look, I'll trade you. You got something better, I'll trade up. Are you telling me that that Bible that you got, that NIV that you've got, has got no errors in it? It's 100% pure and accurate. Yes, okay. Then why do we, we don't, then we don't need another one. Do you think that God got a call from FedEx or UPS or United States Postal Service? He said, okay, I want you to come pick up the Bible and bring it down here to earth. No, God, he made a promise to preserve his word. Why we have our Bible in our hands is because of ancient manuscripts. This isn't an ancient manuscript. This is what we have as a translation. They find them, they gather them, they collect them, they examine them, they research them. And there are over 5,400 existing manuscripts that contain part of the Word of God. They're called extant manuscripts. None of those manuscripts contains the whole. What are they? Remember, we did the lesson last week, no originals, no problem. They're copies. All of these extant manuscripts are all copies of what? They're copies of the original and they've been found in a number of different places and they've been divided what they've done is they've put them now in different classifications and you don't have to spend thousands of dollars to go to a bible school to figure all this out you can find it all on the internet you can find it all in books we try to do our best to teach as much bible truth as we can and so we found this to be uh, at least fitting for a Sunday school lesson. One of the manuscripts is text that is written in all lowercase letters. They, those are called minuscules. Just think mini, lowercase. Those are called minuscules. The minuscule manuscripts are the most numerous manuscripts. Now, there's no separation between words. There's no separation between sentences. There's no separation between paragraphs. There's no punctuation marks and there's no capital letters, hence the name minuscule. You see a minuscule manuscript, you'll see that God's name is also abbreviated. Those are minuscules. Now, the other type are majuscules. Those are block text. And guess what they're written in? All uppercase. Many versus magic. <laughs> Major. Okay, that's a majuscule. Unseals, they have rounded text, and they are also in uppercase letters as well. You're writing all this down? This is good stuff. Minuscules versus majuscules. All you have to remember is lowercase versus 
uppercase. Capitals and cursives. When they grabbed manuscripts, they had square capitals. A square capital, they are the most formal type of manuscript, and they're considered the most earliest. They've been chiseled or inscribed in stone. You have rustic capitals. They're a bit more rounded. They're more slender. They're compressed in appearance. The letters are more tall than they are wide, and they're used in books and official documents. Those are called rustic capitals. You see how we get our modern day fonts? All of the fonts have been where all this comes from. Now we have Roman cursives. Uh, angular strokes. You know what cursives are. It, you hear somebody say, well, that looks like chicken scratch. <laughs> That's somebody attempting to write in cursive. It's a, But it's written in script rather than a printed form. And what happened with these cursive manuscripts? They were given numbers. And the numbers were used to identify all of these manuscripts. Anybody know where the electionary is? That would be in the back of a hymnal. There would be a responsive reading. You ever see hymnals like that? That's what a lectionary was. It was a responsive reading that was in the back of a hymnal. It started in the early church. It was rare. To have one Bible. It was rare to have the whole Bible. So what they did is. They had lectionaries that would get passed along. From one church to another. Because not everybody had a Dollar Tree to go to. Or a Walmart to go to. Or Amazon to go to. And you can just purchase the word of God. For anywhere from 10 to $50. Well it wasn't so back in the early church. So they had these lectionaries that would get passed around. Well, the preacher would have something this week and then it would get passed. Another preacher would have something else. Uh, he would end up getting it as it was passed around. You know what you had in the first and the second and the third centuries? Pastors would write back and forth to each other. And you would have scripture being quoted in hundreds of letters that would go back and forth. And these scripture verses of all of these writings from these pastors back and forth. All match all the other copies when they're compared. Is that pretty good or what? That's God preserving his word. How did he do it? I don't think any of us are going to know. You imagine a bunch of preachers or a bunch of men, a bunch of Christians trying to get together and pass around God's word and have the thing not be corrupted. Who are we trusting here? It's not man. If God's not in this, there is no way man could make that work. Paul, Moses, it didn't matter. Go on down the line. None of them could make it work because our faith and trust isn't in men.
In the early days, the church fathers, they considered it irreverent to write out God's name. So they wrote GD or they wrote FTR for father. They wrote HS for the Holy Spirit. The other reason they did this was because paper was very rare. We take it for granted. I print my sermon notes out. And, you know, Brother Kelly will have sermon notes and he'll open up his his folder and start preaching but we could just run down to staples and grab it well it wasn't so when something becomes very rare it becomes very valuable and this is why the early church fathers abbreviated this is why when you had a minuscule or a majuscule and everything ran together they didn't have but one piece of paper so they had to fit as much as they could on that piece of paper. This is tough to read. Now we said to turn to Psalm 138, verse number. And then we said turn to John 12, verse number. You couldn't do that. Back then. You had to just kind of catch up as you could. How many of you prefer your translation better than having a majuscule or a minuscule. Isn't it easier to read? Is it the same thing? Yes. But what do we have? We have it broken down in chapter and in verse. And it just gives us an advantage. There'd be no way I'd be able to go over this much material. And some of the material, okay, it's a little dry material. But... It's not real preachy, but we already went through a couple of verses. You know how long it would take to get through verses without chapters and, and not the verses numbered? It would take a long time. Church Fathers, Clement of Alexandria, Tertullian, Origen, Cyprian, Christendom, Augustine. You know what they all had? Beliefs about the Bible that were different. Go around all the preachers in this town. Go around all the preachers in this state. Go around all the preachers in the South. Then go around all the preachers in the United States. Then go around all the preachers in the world. And you know what they're going to have? A different take on what the Bible says. You know what the difference is nowadays than back then? All these early church fathers had different beliefs about what the Bible said, but they all had the same Bible. Now we have different beliefs ad nauseum times different Bible versions ad nauseum. Tell me that ain't confusion. Confusion. Kelly and I are going to write back and forth arguing about a verse. He's on one side of the world. I'm on the other side of the world. And we're, we're, we're writing back and forth. And, and I'm, I'm writing an explanation and he gets the letter and then he writes his explanation and refutes mine and he sends it back. But all the while, we've got the same verse that we're arguing about. That's the difference. And we don't have that difference today. We have multiple layers of confusion. Why is our translation better than a majuscule, unsealed or a minuscule? It's broken down. It's not that it's different. It's organized better. 
do a few more and then we will wrap it up. Ancient versions. The Bible was translated into different languages in the early days of the New Testament church. Syrian, Latin, Greek. The oldest is known as the Peshito. It was translated in 150 AD into the Syrian language. The old Latin Vulgate showed up in 157 AD. We just need to be real careful when we hear this objection. Well, the King James Bible wasn't based on the oldest manuscripts. You know why? Because it was based on the right manuscripts. The ones that were used got used. The ones that were used got worn out. They got passed along. The responsive readings, all of that is getting passed and used. Nobody's using the junky stuff. We talked about that before. I won't rehash that information. Papyrus and papyrus fragments, another manuscript. The oldest copies are found on papyrus. It was before paper. It was stalks of reed that they took and they can write on them. They pass them around. They read them. They wear them out. And guess what a papyrus turns into? A papyrus fragment. Because you have a fragment of the paper. Kelly was telling me before we started this Sunday school lesson, he was teaching the Bible since 1975. Now, if he had some of those original pieces of paper, I bet you there'd be a corner torn out of it. I bet you there'd be a hole or two in the middle of it where there's a word or two missing. Now, if Kelly goes back there, he might know what it said. It's his notes. It's the stuff where you have a papyrus, and as it gets used and passed, now you have a papyrus fragment. And you know what they did? They gathered them all up, all these fragments. They collected them. They found them. They researched them. And they put them in a bag. They shuffled them up. <laughs> they put them in a bag and then and, and collecting them. And then they put a number on each one. P1, P2, P3. And they organized all of this and they collect all of these manuscripts. That's papyrus and a papyrus fragment. Now we have vellum manuscripts. Vellum manuscripts. That was calfskin. Paper or no? Papyrus? Paper? Or vellum. I'm going for vellum. Why? It would last longer. It's more durable. And because they're more durable, they're, guess what there were more of? These guys. You sew the vellum together. You make a little quilt. Actually, you make a scroll was what you would come up with. You would have a scroll. And guess what the scroll was called? A codex. You had multiple codex. It was codices. Lastly, we won't get through all of this, and that's, uh, you know what, I think I can, we don't have too much more. Clay pots, wall plaques, all had scripture verses on them, Bible quotes on them. And they collect all of this, and they come up with all but maybe three verses of the entire New Testament. Now, that's a pretty good exhibition. Uh, Exodus right there. 
We don't have a copy of the New Testament dating back to the days of the apostles or even the generations after the apostles. But you know what we got? 5,400 pieces. And when you put them together, you end up with God's word. Now, is it more meaty and detailed than that? It is. Can it be much more dry and scholarly than that? It can be. <laughs> but just to get a broad view and step back and look at the evidence, we can trust God's word. God's word is going to be the authoritative judge. Lastly, I'll close with this and then we'll take a break for church. People argue against the King James Bible. The lectionary, the early versions, the writing of the church fathers all support the King James Bible. Yes, they do. They'll say that. But the older ones, the older minuscules, the older majuscules, which is less than the 1%, they don't agree with the KJM. So the big argument is they define older as better. And their meaning is, their reasoning is this. If they're older, then by default, they're closer to the originals. So then by default, they've got to be better. There's a lot of assumptions built into that. Nobody was preaching from. It was the stuff nobody was using. Ladies got cookbooks in their kitchen. The one that's beat up and tattered and has, you know, spaghetti gravy on it. And it's got all kinds of mess all over and it's beat up. That's the one when you visit their house, you say, oh, make the make the bread that's in that one. <laughs> the one that's really nice and clean and crisp. It's the one she don't use because it's no good. It's kind of the same idea we've got. God's word that we can hold in our hand. I'm going to trust it and believe. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.